there's like there's there's kind of like buckets of this right like there's inspirational content that's like we had serena williams right like yeah serena williams gets on stage talks about being serena williams serena williams I'm she's serena. like i've got a vc it's and great yeah it's fantastic like, yeah we had Derek jeter on stage at the end of that day yeah. super freaking inspiring like it was the those pieces are amazing the what from my point of view though the most valuable content is the content the the most 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 valuable content is regulators sitting down and sharing their point of view with you that's something you can't get anywhere else in public. It's really hard to get behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's really, really, really hard to get them to say things even that you need to read between the lines of. Much less having X regulators come and we had that off the record stage that you did an interview on. Yeah. Where they could cool. actually they could actually be honest. Hello again and welcome. I'm Eric Jorgensen and I don't know much, but I do have some very smart friends. And if you listen to this podcast, then no matter who, where, or when you are, you do too. This show explores technology, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you and the rest of humanity create a brighter, more abundant future. This podcast is one of a few projects I work on to read my book, blog, newsletter, or invest alongside us in early stage tech companies. Please visit ejorgensen.com. Today, my guest is a very good friend and a repeat guest, Zach Pettit. Zach is the director of content for Money 2020, the biggest fintech conference in the world. And a few weeks ago, we were at the conference in Vegas with 15,000 people, and I got to see years of his hard work come to fruition in one insane week. It's his job to filter out noise, find the narratives, and assemble a story with voices that the whole fintech industry can learn from and benefit from hearing. It's a fascinating job. It's a fascinating perspective. And I wanted to reflect on it with him, take in that experience, and see what we could learn from it in a less chaotic place. This episode is a very casual conversation about our experience at the conference, what we learned, who we met, but I think it's a great way to see an overview of fintech, where we are, what's going on. And as with all my favorite conversations, it involves both laughing and learning, titters and tidbits, giggles and goodies. And before we get to the show, I want to quickly tell you about another podcast. The Founders Podcast is my new favorite podcast. I'm a super fan of it. It is now my most listened to podcast. It used to be a paid podcast. Uh, if you heard David on our episode previously, David Sunner, the creator of Founders Podcast, but he recently switched to ad-based. So if you search Founders in any podcast player, find the podcast with the white script and the black background, pick an episode that sounds interesting, you will have an amazing experience. David is a biography reading machine. He's read hundreds of entrepreneurs' biographies from all across history. And the podcast is just him solo talking through his notes, quotes, and key insights from each book. It's extremely nutritious listening. You will learn a ton from it. It's like having a very smart, slightly obsessive friend call you and tell you everything that they learned from a book uh, that they read that week. And he's really masterful at connecting stories between people like Estee Lauder, Andrew Carnegie, and Charlie Munger. Uh, he's an encyclopedia of knowledge, and it's hard to stay on top of all the reading of all the biographies out there. They're long. There's so many of them. There's new ones every day. So I find listening to his really high quality recaps of you know one to two hours on, on a big great biography is the next best thing. Um, 
I think you will learn a ton from listening to this podcast and enjoy it. And I really appreciate you supporting the sponsors that make this show possible. If you don't know where to start and you're a huge Naval fan, he actually did an episode on that book. So that's a really good, uh, really good place to start. Uh, if you enjoy that podcast, this podcast, this conversation, and you want to be a part of a community who talks about stuff like this all the time, please go to ejorgensen.com. Now, with both ears and everything in between, please enjoy this conversation arriving in three, two, one. We've lifted, we've saunaed, we've ate. We spent an hour and a half setting up this fucking podcast. <laughs> Into my mom's got more batteries. Yeah, we found batteries. The world doesn't this need is details. The least professional episode of the least professional podcast that has ever existed. <laughs> and, and that's all people need to know. And I think based on if they listen to the previous episode, they know we're friends. And other than that, they don't need to know shit else. Yeah. Which, which your your old episode I think was a good do you remember when we did that? It was pre-money. It was before you worked at Money 2020, yeah. I think it was. I think it was right as I joined Money 2020, I want to say. Okay. Because I think I think if I remember correctly, I was able to speak openly about my previous company in a way that... That's right. Maybe wouldn't have... Yeah. Had I still been there, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've been Might have legally changed my, exposed. Yeah. 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 Okay, perfect. So this is like a little more than a year probably there. And you just had the craziest week of your career, the biggest week of your career so far. Which a is a year, but boiling it down to a week for sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I think it's like, which is an interesting pyramid, like the biggest week of your career, which was a year in the making, which was 15 years in the making. At least. At least. And I feel like there's a, there's a couple different like layers of this episode that I'm excited to do. One is just kind of like, how was that fucking week? Let's talk about what happened. Yeah. I, I was there at Money 2020. And so like part of it is I think Money 2020 recap of like, I yeah. think it's really interesting to kind of like, it's an interesting perspective to check in on the world of fintech and just try to like see where we've come, where we're going, like using that one week yeah. snapshot of the yeah. biggest fintech conference in the world yeah. and like what the industry's up to. And like, there's no better person to talk to than you who's like behind the scenes MC, like uh, but there's also no Hugh Jackmaning, the greatest showmaning. I mean, the whole thing. I'll just, I, if we're talking like fitness, I'll take it, but I don't know about like, I still haven't seen the greatest showman. So I feel like, I yeah, maybe there's a lot more singing than there was at money 2020. Exactly. I mean, I sang as much as I could, but really, <laughs> it was a lot more dancing. It was a lot more dancing. I mean, but the other thing is like, yeah, I was behind the scenes. Yeah. I planned the whole thing. Yeah. Or not planned the whole thing. That is a you, way you over the content. I, I was in charge of the team. I am, you know, one of the main team members that builds the content. Yeah. But what I would say is the most interesting place to start maybe is actually your experience because yeah. you came into it as like a little Bambi vibe of like you you know fintech to to some degree because we spent so much time together you yeah. know it because of your investing you know it because of like just being a nerd you know it because of how deep you've gone into crypto and web3 but you also simultaneously as you've told me don't know it no <laughs> right <I've>, like <laughs> i like i get tech but like fintech I, I underestimated the degree to which like it's its own world yeah and how much it totally revolves around banks like going to that conference i was kind of like oh this is like vcs and finance and investment banks and like everybody who does money things will be there and leaving was kind of like oh that was all geared towards selling shit to banks of all scales and sizes and I don't know. Maybe that's like a really obvious fact inside. I think it's fine. It's, let's go with it. Let's roll. Yeah. 
No, it I, is that. It is. It, it's it's because of the regulatory and policy oriented system that we have in the US. And this is something that I think I think you really, to your point, have to be in fintech to understand. This is the thing. This is the like hilarious part to me about our relationship is and our friendship is like you are so you have like pulled me with you through portions of my life. Like I feel like you were just just enough further, just further along enough in your like life development, career development. You're married. I'm not like all these, you know, like I'm a little older. You're a little older, but not so much. But there's a really interesting kind of thread there with that that makes me most of the time while we're talking feel like, God damn it, I need to read. You know, or like oh, mm. shit, like how, like what, how the fuck do you know that? Like, you know, like, yeah. and it's all stuff that I innately understand for the most part, but you're the one that goes back and says, Robert Caldini said this versus yeah. like, I heard once, yeah. you know, and I'm looking at a Robert Caldini book is the only reason I pulled that name out of my mouth. <laughs> but it is fascinating how much of a differentiator that is, because as soon as we start talking about the FDIC or as soon as we ta start talking about banks sub Durban versus over Durban versus you know versus a community bank versus a big fight like the nuances there I yeah. don't think I ever understood how deep they were until I was able to talk about some of this stuff with you and then you like your eyes glaze over and you're like what the fuck are you talking about yeah and that conference is a really interesting way to see like the whole nexus that is fintech like yeah. there's regulators there there's banks there there's capital providers there of all scales there's startups there's crypto there's like it's a it's a crazy sort of mess of stuff and it's so much bigger it is both bigger and weirder and more of a like unique like subculture of an industry yeah. where like and i was like do all these people know what the fuck everybody's <laughs> each other are talking about or like am no, i the only that's one that's the crazy okay. part okay. is no like and that's the weirdest part about my job probably is that i have to like get all growing up the way i grew up i think i've just kind of always been and i think some people don't like this term but code switching right like you've I, I, what does that mean so because because i grew up kansas city being the incredibly we were just talking about this actually yeah. so i'll pull it in so as we were going to make sure that this podcast actually worked which i hope we're recording <laughs> the the drive that we did from my house to my mom's where we picked up the batteries was two blocks. I live very close to my mom because she's my person and like I'm here to support her, yada, yada, yada. And also kind of convenient when you need batteries. So we do the two, you know, <laughs> we do the, put me on blast about the fucking batteries. We, we do the two, we do the two block drive. <laughs> we come back and like kind of start a little conversation about like the weird differentiation associated with like a one block shift, yeah. right? Kansas City, very diverse, but very segregated. Very, just call it racist. I mean, it's just like inherently deeply racist and has been for as long as all the way back to segregation. We held yeah. on to segregation a lot longer than most cities. And as a result of that, I grew up on the black side of the city for lack of a better term yep. when i talk to my black friends about it they're like yes that's how you should say it when i talk to my white friends about it they're like oh my god i can't believe you said that <laughs> there's no black side of the city so it's because like, you haven't been there yeah it's <laughs> like yeah okay you're uncomfortable about it because you have no black friends so growing up in that situation and going to a very weird french immersion school in Wait. a very low income area with very wealthy kids but also very like we had like the daughter of a very very successful entrepreneur 
who was funding part of the school. So that's why she was there. But then we also had kids that like would only make 50% of classes because they were taking care of their sister and like, you know, living in section eight housing and whatever. So because of that and being coming from the lower socioeconomic side, but wanting to seeing and seeing an avenue out because of my skin color, seeing an avenue out that wasn't just sports. Like I saw that there was a very clear way out for a certain group of people. And there was a different way out potentially for a different group of people. And I was so young. I didn't understand the racial layers to that. I was just like, Oh, that's, we go these ways. Yeah. Right. And my mom was always just kind of like pretty much the only way you're going to figure this out is business. Mm. So I've by accident when I was a kid, I realized that like I had, a set of black friends i had a set of like mexican friends i like a set of white friends like it's just like normal segregation of humans because of language because of experience because of culture and mostly my white friends would get really angry at me a lot of the time especially like as i got a little older my white girlfriends would be like you act so different around this group you act so different Mm. around that group and you know me well enough. You've probably actually seen this without thinking about it certain times. Like my voice changes, my diction changes, my vibe change, like all of that. And it's actually that code switching thing is also a thing in fintech because the way that you talk to a startup startup founder, a startup. I mean, let's, let's like go all the way out there and be weird as shit about it. Like the way that you talk to an SBF, right? Like in this moment, like, well, if through bars or wherever we're at, But the way that you talk to like that kind of a or like Ryan O'Connor, one of our best friends who is just so goddamn smart. But you just have to understand how to ask the question to get them to the right place to make them feel comfortable to actually get to a place to have a relationship with them. Right. And to learn from them versus a banker is just kind of what you think they are. Right. And especially a community banker is really just kind of what you think they are. But then like a big five bank executive is a very different person yeah. than a community bank executive is a very different person than a regulator is yeah, very, yeah. and there's like 20 to 30 subsets in that ecosystem. And you have to be able to one communicate with all of them, be empathetic with all of them, understand all of them and understand who should be connected to who, when, why, and where. Yeah. It's a, there's layers, create content for all of them, see the interactions between them, mm-hmm. project how that's going to affect like, the future of fintech through yeah. infrastructure and and actually connect and, them i mean yeah. that's the other thing is like a, yeah. by accident i'm sitting at this like nexus of all these fascinating humans and like you you just kind of sit some sometimes there are moments over the last year where i've sat there and i've been like you don't know you if you two came together you don't know it yet but you could do you could build a billion dollar company or whatever right yeah all it takes is an email in some of these situations. And like you and I, I guess I've been doing that for a long time, but there's something different about like, Hey, go grab coffee. Yeah. Then like, Oh, I see this piece of value. I see that piece of value, bring them together. And like two plus two equals a million. Yeah. And it's a little bit of the perspective you have about being on top of the maze. Like you're, you can't go so deep in any one subculture that you belong to it. You have to see sort of the connections of all of them. And it's so interesting. Like, the, uh, I don't know. Maybe you should. Maybe the right structure is to talk through the way you thought about content. So, like, I know it's taken a year to sort of derive the like. There's main themes, and then there's like tracks, yeah. and like, is that like a decent structure for sort of showing the world of fintech? I mean, a li- I think <sighs> unpacking the world of fintech is a is a thing 
should we should we start with like what your first impression of the show was and, and we started a little bit with that but sure i'm yeah. still wondering if like if i'm sitting here and i have no idea what money 2020 is like all right money 2020 is the biggest fintech conference in the world there's one in vegas yep which is i think the biggest yep. there's also one in amsterdam there yep. will soon be one in bangkok 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 baby 2020 um, and it encompasses all of the sort of subcultures and people and stuff that we've mentioned like financiers bankers regulators startups everything there's a fucking huge expo center there's three days of content and interestingly four four days of content pardon me there is also this which is like new th this scale of conference is new to me there's like i don't know fifteen thousand people there or something is fucking enormous the the scale of that conference meant there was like this meeting culture yeah. which i was not I thought it was really interesting and like I hadn't yeah. seen it before because I mostly go to smaller conferences yeah. where you just kind of like rely on serendipity. This is like you literally count the meetings that happen yep. and you they're scheduled like through the app of the conference. People search the thing and I got all these emails before going of people like, let's schedule a meeting. I was like, are you crazy? I'm not going to schedule a meeting during a conference. Like <laughs> you go and you be serendipitous. Like I can't be responsible for being at table 97 at 1 p.m. Right. That's insane. <laughs> That's um, but it's 100% how this works, or at yeah. least for a lot of for people who are like, you know, a, a startup trying to close banking customers or a startup trying to like uh, a, a company trying to yeah. meet investors or whatever. Yeah. So that was an interesting thing. But think about the ROI, right? Oh, like, an, that's incredible. Well, but they, that you have to do that to make it worth it. Yeah. Right? That's the thing is like a lot of. The, the serendipity associated with like a capital camp. Yeah. Right. Or like a 200, is, 300 yeah, two, person, yeah. like the serendipity there is one, like you're barely, po you're barely passing Dunbar's number. Yeah. Right. And well, like, you can stand in the room and be like, exactly. Oh, that's yeah. the person I need to talk to. Yeah. Um, and like Shane and Brent and like, yeah. you know, you're just like, I know enough of the, it, it kind of is Dunbar's number because you know, 50 of them. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then it's 150. Yeah. You don't know. And then you yeah. need to go meet them. And then from there, you, yeah. you know, it's, and this is like half the fucking Venetian is just people wearing these tags and like yeah. running in every direction at all times. Yeah. But to pay off your, you know, anywhere between 2000 to $6,000 ticket, like, yeah, you got to take some meetings pretty and that's you before know? you get a booth. Right. So what are the booths run? <sighs> Actually, I really Thank God, don't know. Um, <laughs> luckily, Those that's something like, I don't have to deal with. But I mean, we're talking, we're not talking one grand. No, it was, you know? I went in there, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'll go like find some startups and like, well, that's the thing like is zero people before series a have a can afford a like well, booth at this thing you and i walk, we walked by a couple but those were the it was like embarrassing i think you pointed them out you were like are, is that one okay but it was like a seed seed company yeah, yeah. that had like a table like that scene in silicon valley like silicon valley i think season i can't remember if it's two or three where they do the pineapples <laughs> oh, you know yeah, they yeah, go yeah, hide yeah. the pineapples around hulicon yeah like the pied piper table yeah, is like, probably similar to like some of those seed stage tables. Yeah, but then you saw like Mastercard or Finicity or yeah, like who had, built like, a house there for. Yeah, yeah, I mean those they're they're spending yeah. uh, way more than most people make in a year. And the, all right, so the the Expo Center is another place that I got. Well, tell me if I think I have this right. So you walk around the Expo Center and you're like, all right, these are the like Series B companies. They're still working on giant banks. They, they a bunch of them are competing directly. It seems like but yeah, they, but they kind of fall into buckets. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a very good take. A lot of people don't really realize that if they don't come from the industry, they don't see that. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that, so the buckets that sort of form for me are like crypto custody for banks, mm -hmm. identity verification, yep. through like through biometrics. I saw Palm, I saw Face, I saw Iris. Yep. 
but like basically trying to get to the sort of like Chinese WhatsApp, like scan a body part and that's your inherent payment wallet identity system with that bank or that whole payment provider. Did you, you've kind of been paying a little bit of attention to Sardine too. A little bit, a little bit. That That, feels more abstract to me. So that's the thing is like that whole world, this, the, the idea of biometrics from my point of view is like a little bit more the 2019 vibe. Like if you track, if you track, I don't know how much you've talked about triple blind on the podcast or talked about Dawes or no, you've got a great episode with Dawes actually has the audio is a little bit rough, but it's worth it because it's Dawes. I mean, that man is just so smart. So for, for the background, Eric and I are both really good friends and can say it investors. And (laughs) we had to, we had to have a moment of looking at each other, not say it. I mean, yeah, it feels like we have to say it. If anything, investors in a company called triple blind, who the founder of was previously at a company called I verify where they were doing iris biometric scanning, right? So eye scanning. And if you talk to him, he would say that like that is that that company was sold at the right time because that technology is no longer necessarily un the technology is beatable mm. at this point. It takes a lot of work to beat it in a yeah. way that like a fraud ring probably isn't going to try and do at this point. But Interestingly enough, most of the really cutting edge anti-fraud or IDV things are actually a lot more about behavioral analysis during signup. So Whoa. Sardine and NeuroID are as two examples, like have a lot to do with just mouse tracking. Oh, and yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you're switching back and forth from this tab to that tab, things yep. like, and like there's very like consistently significantly sign- statistically significant behavior that you can grab a fraudster from yep. but it also increases the pull through on fraudster KYC. meaning like bot versus human fraudster really meaning potentially both oh, so okay. there's i mean at this point like the fraud there was a, a story that got written by a company that was like kind of an april fool's joke a company called alloy and they were like this is the biggest fundraise in the history of fintech and it was a story about how a company had raised a hundred billion dollars but it was actually a joke about how much these fraud rings have stolen mm. and how they ran some math that got it up to like a hundred billion dollars or whatever. And I opened it being like, holy shit, who, who raised a hundred billion dollars? And I'm like, was oh, this Adam Newman again? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, here, A16Z again. Um, and it was actually just like a joke about fraud rings, but fraud rings and com- their fraud rings are as smart as the people trying to stop the fraud. In a lot yeah. of cases, smarter. There were a ton of, yeah, fraud prevention was a big bucket and then payment rails, which I don't even know what that is, but there was a bunch of payment rails, people competing for banking customers, I assume. Yeah. But it was interesting, like the the identity verification and crypto custody to me were interesting because I think there's like, they were big ass booths. They were clearly showing traction over multiple years with banks. And I'm kind of like, oh, what's at this conference on this floor is going to be rolled out to customers in three years give or take 18 months by different banks so like that was that's an interesting kind of like oh like my crypto wallet might just live in my bank's bank account or my bank might have my you know fingers or palms or face or whatever and that might be rolled out to point of sale systems Mm -hmm. and that like or none of that exists it all gets extrapolated away and we actually do what the fuck we should do which is take the first actual financial innovation that we've had in maybe a a century which is 
newer versions of the blockchain, not the Bitcoin blockchain, but newer yeah. versions of the blockchain. And we actually think about some middle ground version of like the classical TradFi version of the rails that we've had and that bring them together and extrapolate all way all this bullshit and this whole conversation and just actually make financial innovation happen for the first time in like an actual fucking century. Doesn't don't like like banks have to switch away from core provide like does crypto have to replace the core providers for that to happen no so what needs to happen is actually a lot more on the policy level interestingly than it is about so there, there's God technology and policy problems yeah what? i remember like our last podcast i was like what's the most high leverage like yeah what's the most important thing in fintech and yeah. you were like regulation like, yeah damn it but also you can feel it at that conference right like every the the undercurrent or the question looming over like all these panels it wouldn't even think have to do with regulation by the title they're always talking about that like, oh we need more clarification from regulators we yeah. need more speed from regulators we're yeah. not sure we can do that or this innovation exists but we're not sure it's legal to roll yeah, out or that's so funny. um or it's a panel of regulators being like this is why you don't need more clarity you just need to fucking do it yeah and like i it, like it's such a bigger part of the conversation than you would think, or than it is seems like in other industries. Some well, other industries. there's, there's like a, there's a couple layers to that that are actually really fascinating. So I work with somebody that I perceive to be one of the smartest people in the world. Her name's Rachel Morrissey. And she, over the past, she's been doing her job on the money 2020 content team. That's similar to mine. It's just like stratifications of responsibility and whatever. But Rachel also runs the podcast. Like she's, so sharp and she comes from a theater background not a fintech background but is just such a nerd that she's learned this industry incredibly well but she's come at it with this like from the point of view of the audience sort of thing mm -hmm. and as a result of that she pretty much refuses to talk about anything as regulation oriented the most she will say is policy but her and I both have this like Trojan horse in every piece of content for the most part that we're putting together, which is let's make this absolutely fascinating. But for the most part, it's a conversation about regulation. Hmm. It's a conversation about technology. It's a conversation with so you Brex. did that shit on purpose. A million percent. Interesting. Million, million, million percent. That's why you were smiling at me like a wise old wizard when I said that. I mean, it's the only way there's like there's there's kind of like buckets of this right like there's inspirational content that's like we had serena williams right like yeah serena williams gets on stage talks about being serena williams serena williams I'm she's serena. like i've got a vc it's and great yeah it's fantastic like, yeah we had Derek jeter on stage at the end of that day yeah. super freaking inspiring like it was the those pieces are amazing the what from my point of view though the most valuable content is the content the the most 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 valuable content is regulators sitting down and sharing their point of view with you that's something you can't get anywhere else in public. It's really hard to get behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's really, really, really hard to get them to say things even that you need to read between the lines of. Much less having X regulators come and we had that off the record stage that you did an interview on. Yeah. Where they could cool. actually they could actually be honest. You know, yeah. so like so, that's that's the best. And then the second is the Trojan horse. But go ahead. Well, we should explain the off the record yeah, yeah, stage yeah. is like. Uh, this thing. is your, your brainchild, right? Uh, everything. I would say like a, a little bit because of the, the seed of the idea was mine because I was always really frustrated as an attendee that I went to Money 20, I think 2020, I think four times before I joined. And I was always very frustrated by going to see someone that I absolutely thought of as a hero. And then they told me 
I wish money moved faster. Yeah. It's like, no shit. We have four day settlement. We all agree. Yeah. You're one of the smartest people in this entire industry. Why is this the thing that you're choosing to say to me? Yeah. And they're like, I can't really say anything else because I might get in trouble. So yeah, the idea of a stage in which yonder pouches so nobody can have access to their phone the headphone the silent disco headphones so that nobody can even really like interact with each other and react like you're just kind of listening in your own little world yeah and the piece where you're totally blocked in and they wouldn't let anyone in yeah all of that adds some yeah some layers it's a fun stage to be on yeah you're in the corner everybody's phone's locked up like you're very specifically not recording those sessions yeah and i like that was a brilliant thing to get I have been to many conferences where it's like you put somebody, they're fascinating, but you put them on stage and they just and they become so defensive or, or can't yeah. share the sort of candid stuff that you would get in a one-on-one conversation, especially with regulators where you're like, man, this is the person making the decision. Like, I really do want to know what they think. Like, yeah. Yeah. how, you know, how does this progress? How do we yeah. unlock this thing? Yeah. Did you, I mean, I think you... I think you were there for that CFPB announcement. I can't remember. Did I make you MC a stage or something? I feel like I made you do a bunch of shit on Tuesday, and I don't know if you were actually able to I see that. Can't remember. Yeah. Tuesday, I blacked out. Okay. <laughs> Tuesday was a blur. I think, well, the, the wild part about this year is I think, from my point of view, the biggest moment was actually a 20-minute, I don't know about the biggest moment. That's a hard one. But yeah. one the the moment that got me just going, <laughs> like, fucking <laughs> Going was the director of the CP- CFPB, Rohit Chopra, getting up on stage. And what and is the CFPB? The CFPB is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which yeah. is a regulatory body. It's a cross. It's a cross regulators. So they're kind of they're a bizarre regulatory institution because their ability to kind of do anything. In terms of like, I don't want to overstate it in terms of their lack of power, but they they have a lot of directional power and a lot less prosecutorial is like the wrong term, but a lot less, a lot less of an ability to, if you break the rule, hold your feet to the fire, right? It's kind of, it's not an enforcement agency. They like enforcement is the word I was like, they guide, thank you. you. The guide policy or the guide enforcement. They they set a road for you to walk down. And if you pick a different road to walk down, then one of the other regulators at that point will probably step in. So the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was a Obama invention post 2008 as a result of Maybe not can you know maybe not protecting consumers the way that we should have been at certain points. <laughs> Just a thought. I don't know. Subprime was fun. We had a good time. The mortgage brokers did anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. We we love a good derivative. Now I'm thinking about what was the CFPB, Where were we going? Oh, uh, that's right. Okay, so the CFPB was put in place in 2008. There's a really interesting thing that happened recently, which is the the fifth sort fifth circuit. I think of New York, basically not cut their funding but they're i i don't want to i don't want to say cut or i don't want to put a term to it but their funding is in an interesting place and as a regulatory institution not necessarily understanding the future of your funding is a fascinating thing so hmm. there's there's like a hypothetical world in which five ten years from now i don't know i don't know all the details of it maybe they don't exist huh. i don't know who knows Anything can happen. And with this specific regulatory institution that was invented 13 years ago, 14, 14 years ago, 13, 14, we'll see. It's not the, Lindy yet. It's 
Yeah. The likelihood that it exists as long as the FDIC does, I I don't know. Right. I, I would be kind of shocked, but a lot of it depends on the next administration. And re- like, yeah, Republican administrations are not a fan of the CFPB because they view them as overbearingly regulating. So what was their announcement? So the announcement was about open banking, which basically which the UK already has, most of Europe already has. It's basically the ability for you to say, okay, I'm a Chase customer and I want to not be a Chase customer anymore. I want to be a NBKC or like a lead bank customer or like, a, I don't know, I want to move to Bank of America, Bank of America, whatever. This ruling, Rule 1033, would, as it actually becomes real policy, would basically say, one, that you have the right to be forgotten. Right. Mm. So you can say, delete all my data. And if you don't delete all my data and if I don't have proof thereof, basically, which yeah. is hard to prove. But if you don't do that, then you're out of compliance and you are violating a financial rule. And you'll right? get a class action lawsuit, probably. Or a regulator. If, inspection. If, there's no chance that they're doing it to just one person, probably. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it would yeah. end up in a class action, I would imagine. Yep. That's pretty much the only way that shakes out. Okay. So that's one piece. The second piece is making it easier to actually make them move. Mm. that's what the uk has figured out they've actually done a pretty good job of figuring out and building ramps on off ramps from this bank on ramps to this bank in a way that makes sure that consumers are actually able to end up in the right financial products with the right financial institutions and not getting totally fucked yeah that's just kind of an expected thing over there now Mm. they also have a very recently did that happen the five, six, eight years. Oh, okay. Like okay. Like, it's not like they've just always had this right. And, no, okay. no, no, no. It's it, a lot of it really came as a result of the neobanks. Okay. So the other thing about the UK is that Revolut, Monzo, like those groups are actual banks. Like neobanks worked there. Because they're actual banks. Yeah. That's the thing. Is neo and neobanks worked here. They just worked in a very different way because of the necess- necessity of these sponsor banks behind them. Yeah. So when you're leaving a Revolut in London, uh, or I mean, whatever, when you're leaving a Revolut in Europe in, through an open banking system, you're actually leaving a bank to go to another bank mm-hmm. here. If you left trying to think of a chime as an example, you would be leaving Bancorp, not chime. Chime's yeah. a technology company. Bancorp is the bank. So you'd be leaving Bancorp to go to Chase or to go wherever. Yeah. So it's a in terms of the fintech piece, it's interesting. The thing, though, is it was mainly 20 minutes of signaling about what the future holds for consumer protection, right? That's what it all comes down to is like, if you're getting fucked at Bank of America because if you have less than $2,000 in your checking account, they charge you $12 a month for an account maintenance fee Yeah, that you should have a very easy ability to shift to a different bank. Yep. That's like, it was 20 minutes of that. But in our industry, reading those tea leaves and reading between those lines is a really, really big deal and also market moving information. Interesting. It was, I think I was telling you this a little bit earlier, but it was like the most wild three hours of maybe the whole show because we had booked the director to speak and we knew that he was going to be saying something, but because of the nature of the information that he was going to be sharing, we didn't know what it was until about 6.30, 7 a.m. the morning that he was going to be speaking at, I want to say 10 something along those lines. Wow. So my morning started with like, I think it was Tuesday. So I was, I was emceeing this day. So for me, that's a, that's a light day. It's just, I have to get on stage every 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever. And 
dance monkey dance and get the crowd excited and pull people in for whatever's next kind of thing. You know, no, no big deal. But finding out at 6 or 7 a.m. information that the entire financial industry has wanted to know for at least five years, maybe a decade. Yeah. Because we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I have a four page speech in my inbox that I have access to. It's going out in three hours. It's going out in three hours. Yeah. It's under embargo. But for about three hours, myself and Rachel had access. And I mean, after I brought the rest of the team in it, because it basically turned into crisis comms. It wasn't a crisis, but it was, oh, holy shit. This is a much bigger deal than we realized. I'm a nerd, right? So I had a hunch it was going to be 1033. Rachel had a hunch it was going to be 1033. 1033 is what? Is the, oh, it's like, it's the specific, it's the specific number associated with what? Open banking policy. Yeah, with open banking policy, the ruling, when it actually does become a rule. Yeah. So we had a hunch that was it. Like the only thing that could come out of the CFPB that would be like very interesting would be him coming out of left field and just dropping this at money 2020 Like yep. that. We had a hunch, but it's really hard to prepare for a hunch, especially when you're doing 250 other pieces of content with 400 speakers and yada, 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 yada. Like I'm not going to yeah. focus on this thing. I know nothing about. <laughs> so as soon as I wake up that morning, I well, not as soon as I wake up, I get into, I get into like the staff meeting and I get in and, and Rachel's just looking at me with these really big eyes. And I'm like, oh shit, like either someone died is either great news or terrible news. And she just hands me her phone and it's the speech. Yeah. And I start reading it. And my, we had, we had like a new director of PR who, who's from Sweden and like had not understood me yet. <laughs> you know, had not under- a learning curve. Yeah, learning had not understood like the way that that yeah. that happens and not understood the yeah. the way that we communicate as 2020 behind the scenes, especially because yeah. we're we have to move quickly, we're candid and we're very tight as a group. So at the end of the day, we know that we're all good, but we might cut each other off. We might like it's a little bit the closest thing I can describe it to is kind of like an open outcry trading floor mm. back in the 90s, just based on videos I've seen. Like it's the only it's the closest <laughs> thing I can come up with, because like at one point I'm standing between three people. I'm answering three different questions here. I've got my PR person over in the corner. They're asking me questions. I'm literally simultaneously. I'm going like bang, 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 answering yeah. this question, running over there, answering that question. It's like so, an Aaron Sorkin fucking, you know, scene back there. I mean. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, it had a camera there at a point. There was a camera following me, but it yeah. had a camera been following me. It, it would have looked pretty West Wing. You would have been walking in circles. Yeah. You're like, did we just see this hallway? Yeah. But it, it was wild. So we spent the first like 30 minutes to an hour just unpacking this. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, I read the first paragraph. And as you saw, because you were there, like I, I one put a lot of my emotion into this. Two, it's exhausting. So, like, I'm kind of on the verge of especially by Tuesdays. Yeah, 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 I'm on the verge of either crying or complete elation or like (laughs) crying in elation. Like, it's all just like it's all wild. And I needed a cup of coffee, so I was reading. I get through the first paragraph. I get to the second paragraph. The first paragraph, I think I said fuck three times. My PR director was freaking out because I think she was like, "Oh God, is it bad?" Mm. Because she doesn't know me. So get to the second paragraph and. I th- if I remember the if I remember the sentence correctly, it was something along the lines of, and this ruling will drastically change the way that the financial ecosystem is regulated going forward. 
which for a regulatory body is all caps that's you know that laying a dick on the table you know that's like that's putting it all out there that's a bold fucking statement that's wild really and i got to that moment i got to that sentence i stopped i looked up and the like we hadn't had at this point we hadn't gotten the whole team together yeah i looked at my new director of pr who hadn't started yet um and i said (laughs) I need you to get our entire external PR team. I need you to like get everybody at a table within the next 10 minutes. I'm going to step out. I'm going to read the rest of this. And then we're going to have to react to this preemptively to be able to react to it postemptively, right? Like we need to prepare our reaction to after he says the words to put it out there. So for whatever, we ran like a half hour, me actually explaining to non-fintech people what the hell was going on. Um, and why it mattered and like started writing the press release and all this kind of stuff. And then for about three hours, we were running a conference, running a, a show with a ticking bomb, and the- with a ticking bomb, just uh-huh. like for three hours, I had market moving information in my head that I just had to carry on. Like yeah. all, all I did was at the wildest part, man, was directly after the Rohit uh, announcement was Zach Perret or Parrot, depending on how you want to pronounce it and depending on how much you want him and I to fight because our names are exactly the same. Him and the chief legal officer for A16Z were getting on stage directly after. And Plaid, Zach's company, is kind of, especially in the US, the open banking company. Mm-hmm. Like the open banking company. So we have a gigantic ruling or a gigantic signal yeah. In the direction of something fascinating happening. And then directly after that, we have the CEO of one of the most important companies in the space expected to get up there, get interviewed by one of the most powerful lawyers in the United States and react or not react to everything that just happened. So I was like sitting backstage as the director was talking between Zach and Jay watching Zach's face as he like reacted to this, uh, it was like a roller coaster. I mean, he's, it's Zach. So he's like very stoic. He's yeah. CEO. He's a very, very successful, very smart individual. So he doesn't overreact, but you could tell that he was kind of inside of himself having a moment. Yeah. And you could tell that Jay was watching him trying to figure out how much of a moment it was trying to understand what direction he wanted to take the conversation because Zach was so focused on listening to what he was saying yeah. that he, and he's maniacal. I mean, he's, you know, one of the smartest people in FinTech, in my opinion, he studied physics. He's a Dawes. He's that yeah. level smart. Okay. Uh, kind of talks like him too, actually has yeah. some of the same things. So you couldn't get Zach's attention for 20 minutes. Yeah. Like I was like, Hey dude, how are you? You know, like, yeah. you know, just haven't seen you in a minute. What's up? up? He's like, like and i was like oh he's in that mode yeah. so i just went into like service mode i like he had he still had his badge on he hadn't like gotten anything stage ready i was like i took the badge off of his head yeah i had to like grab a person to come <laughs> mic him up so he could keep watching instead of having to leave the green room like yeah it was just a wild wild few hours and then the media machine just took off like yeah it was probably the biggest biggest announcement that happened biggest like media or pr coup it was wild and that's like not expected like it's not like there's reporters showing up to money 2020 expecting breaking news really are there there's i mean yeah yes and no well there I, were a few like bill harris announced his yeah, company there exactly there somebody else we do adian that night did a really yeah, big announcement yeah, that yeah, they yeah, had yeah. they had chartered a bank i mean so you know adian in a lot of ways is 
I think I got to be careful about what I say about Stripe, but based on the corporate culture that has developed there as they've grown and scaled and I you said you, you have said before Adian is like Stripe's direct competitor. Yeah. Right. But, it, it, like the incumbent, which most people in tech, I don't think would know off the top of their head, especially right? in the US. Yeah. If, if you're abroad, if if you're not in the US, you're probably very you're more familiar with Adian probably okay. for the most part. And that's really not true. Stripe has just done such a good job of branding. Yeah. Stripe press, Stripe everything. The simplicity, just everything about Is it them. because they like did Adian come from tech? They were just like kept their heads down or do they just sort of come from somewhere other than the valley sort of? Yeah, like? I really think it's just that. I mean, they, yeah. they they're not a U.S. company. Their CEO is based in Amsterdam. OK, I don't know technically where their corporate base is. I mean, assuming I know anything about the space, it's probably like Ireland or something with for tax reasons. Um but their CEOs in Amsterdam, they, depending on when you look at the numbers, there's been times when they were doing more volume than Stripe. There's like yeah. the, the, there's, there's ways that you can make an argument about Adyen being a better business in some ways. Volume, I think at this point is much higher on Stripe, but you know, it kind of comes down to the value investment you want to make and yeah, yeah. things like that. But the hype machine, because of the Collison brothers and because of YC and because of just all of I, I truly think that Patrick Collison could never say another word and be considered Sam Altman, be considered Vitalik, be considered you know, like these sure, yeah. these I mean, he just has done that. I mean, I think he's fucking brilliant. Also. He he like, is brilliant, but he yeah. could just never say another word and still have that be his legacy. Yeah. I mean, that is he is one of the smartest people that has ever graced this industry. Yeah. And we need more of him. So please, Patrick, talk more. But <laughs> that being said, there's something really interesting that happens around these comms teams as they get bigger where they yeah I, I almost have this theory that at like 50 billion in terms of your uh, valuation or like 30 billion or 50 I don't I don't know what the number is but I almost think there's there's some point where you develop this like incredibly professional marketing and communications team and they then carry on to ruin the company maybe not run the company in terms of revenue, maybe not run the company in terms of a lot of the company, yeah. but they definitely run the ability for the company to tell a story. They definitely shoot themselves in the foot 25 times before they get out of bed out of just sheer fear. Well, you become more, you become defensive, right? Like you have something to lose. Yeah. You got less, you know, you're, you become Goliath instead of David. So there's no, you can't punch up at anybody. And so you don't punch. So you just stay like, there's interesting things around this like i remember like warren buffett got asked about some of his personal political views and stuff. like this was at in omaha at the meeting and he's like was this this year no i think it was last year he's like i i have maybe it was this year i, I think i was sitting with you during he's this like, uh he's like i have them but an interesting thing about being a ceo is you can't speak as yourself yeah. like you are you represent the interest of the company you represent the company you represent the shareholders your you can no longer separate your person as an individual from your person as the ceo of this company and you sort of lose the right to or the ability i suppose to like speak about those things and so he's like i just learned not to like that's and, and Collison, they may be going through that same thing and like jk rowling was like it's an interesting thing about being this famous is like i cannot whisper 
Yeah. Everything I said is the same volume and I lose agency over the context in which it's delivered immediately. Yeah. So, so it's hard to do. But the other direction to take this is the Bology version, which is like all comms teams are like embedded journalists. So they don't actually work for the company. They, they, they worship the media structure, not the entity that they work for. And so they still serve the sort of interests of the media, even though they're inside the company. If they're good at their job, which I'm sure does not apply to everybody. I think that's I mean, entirely the yeah. correct way to handle it. Yeah. Being overly but defensive. rare. Yeah. <laughs> rare. Yeah. All right. So what, I mean, think about, think about the amount of value. Cause I, I, we can move past it, but I think that I wonder if that's shifting. If you, well, the, the places that it's shifting are the people are, are all of the people that are going direct to the media, right? Like Elon, Elon fired everybody on Twitter comms and is like, no, I'll just tweet whatever I want. Like that's how we'll communicate with you. Is that he has not had a? I don't think right. that I don't think Tesla has PR. Did at one point he let him it go? Did at right? one point I think he let him go. Like, and even people that keep their PR teams, like Zuckerberg, is going on Rogan and going on Lex, and like they're just making many more efforts to communicate directly, either through whatever social media, podcast, yeah. whatever. It's very interesting. What were the other like craziest moments for you? Like. It, it was such a concentrated thing that it yeah. likes. I mean, you were like front row at a posty post Malone show at like three hours I mean, I after the story, three hours after you fucking interviewed Vinod Kosla, which was like <laughs> an hour after you interviewed. Like, it, it was just went like on and on and on. Like the life highlight moments that happened like five times in a day are just like I could, insane. Yeah. I can uh, tell the Monday story. That's probably the Monday was the craziest day. Bring on so, Monday. So Monday was. I think my my favorite part about money 2020 is that like you can take you can just like take a snapshot of any stage for the most part you can take a snapshot of any moment between and there's like five stages happening in parallel at five six depending on how you count it there's yeah. like four it's just like you can't get out to all of it it's yeah. too much this the volume's overwhelming and it's wild and also it's broad enough that you probably don't care about all of it but so monday we had what i would say if you took a screenshot of Monday just on our main stage or our main stages, you could put that up against any fintech conference in the world over the last 10 years. And I think that we would, there wouldn't be a big competition. Like it was an absolutely, absolutely wild day. So we think about, I think I kind of said this earlier about like inspiration and these different kind of buckets of things. So yeah, I'm not sure we finished the naming the buckets, but well, well whatever. I'll name them as we walk through the story. <laughs> we will we will identify the buckets as we walk through them. So we kind of decided Monday was going to be like open inspiration and close on inspiration. So Monday morning was we we had this thing that happened Sunday night called Sunday Night Live, which was supposed to be our like biggest stage. It had four forty two hundred seats. I think at one point it really was full Sunday night, but Monday morning was Serena Williams. And turns out Serena Williams is a little bit bigger of a draw in certain ways than Adian announcing yep. their banking as a service and embedded finance tooling plus chartering a bank, which from my point of view is a lot of news, but Serena Williams is Serena. So we had, I think, like almost maybe five, maybe over 5,000 people in that room. It was I mean, standing room only. It was standing room only. Packed, yeah. It was wild. Where, it was where, were, you, where were you in that? I was standing. You were standing in, yeah. like, in the back? Yeah. I got there right before it started. Yeah. So I think that 
if I had to have like one highlight of fintech crowds are hard. You probably felt this as you were there. Like you walk out, you're like, how you doing everybody? And they're like, fine. That's Maybe. See, that's a hell of a reaction. Actually, yeah, no, they're fine. Just, is just, they're just they silent. just kind of look at you. Yeah, and, and then they're not, they're not even like it's not like they're all looking at their phones. They're just like looking at you, yeah. demanding enthusiasm from you and flatly and refusing nothing back. <laughs> <laughs> just, We're this here is a, for the information. This please. is a one way relationship. <laughs> but if it's not entertaining, we'll also dock you on that. Yep. So <laughs> it's really either way. So I think I think this was. For me, the coolest way. If you ever go into stand up, you're going to fucking cry. You, like, you, you can't. What? Just because, like, if you can handle a fintech crowd, if you can bring up a fintech crowd, like, <laughs> any comedy you bar, can dodge any a comedy, any, like, you'll be. <laughs> you can dodge a wrench, you like, can dodge a ball. You can lift any room if you can lift 5,000 fintech hungover, you know, fintech people on a Monday morning. Well, I think that's why it was so crazy, is that, and I think why that day started on such a good foot. Yeah. It was the first time in my experience as an overly exuberant, won't shut the fuck up <laughs> on stage, yeller at crowds to get them going. Yeah. Also just known as, I guess, an MC that I walked out and there was energy before I got out there. Yeah. There was like a group of, there was a group of 40 people in the front that were actually going to get to go meet Serena afterwards. Oh, sick. so I think they just like jumped out of bed. Yeah. Yeah they were there baby like they were it was a standing ovation and like a few a couple of them were from kansas city so i saw them in the crowd it was really cool so i walked out and i lit it my job literally was just to like pump up the crowd before my ceo came out um to show a video that we got jamie diamond to do from jp morgan which also like i actually literally cried tears of joy when we got because it was was a big get it was a big fucking get it was really cool so i walked out and the weirdest thing happened people were cheering and i actually had to take them and this was like the first normally i walk out and just go you've seen me yeah yeah i actually took a second i like took a breath and i'm i'm comfortable on stage it's not like i don't take breaths on stage but it's rare that i take that big of a breath before i say something because there's usually just silence yeah but i took a breath and people were clapping and screaming and like excited to be there Outside of the story I'm going to tell about the end of this night, <laughs> it was maybe the highlight of it was the highlight of my public public speaking life. Like the fact that people were that excited, it just felt so fucking good. I think I was on stage yeah. for like 30 seconds and I don't remember at all what I said, but it felt so good. And it's not even like from my perspective of seeing you put this thing together for the year. Yeah. It's not even just like the crowd was good. They got to meet Serena. It was like. You got Serena there. You had built the the sort of whole outline, the whole content, like created this moment that, that then you got to stand inside. And like that happened over and over again the whole week. But like that might have been the one where it's like this is this is a long time coming. Yeah. And I get to appreciate it like in this instant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So to your point, I said a couple words. I got off stage. I listened to Tracy, my president, CEO, say a few words. I watched the Jamie Diamond video happen just because the size of those screens and just needing to like watch it happen in person. Yeah. And then from there, I had to run to the other stage. Well, so from there, I had to run, pick up Vinod Kosla because I was basically his body man for the day. Is he heavy? 
I mean, not at this point. He's been he skis a lot, and he you know had a surgery on his knee recently, so he's lost some weight. But I had to like go find him, bring him to the right place. I had one of my best friends from work actually go get him from the car because I was in the middle of introducing Serena, so I yeah. couldn't go get Vinod where I actually was. Like the whole thing was so weird. And then I'm just like getting off stage from fucking introducing Serena Williams. I walk over and I shake Vinod Coastal's hand. Well, he's he's still elbow bumping. Mm. Is a yeah, little things like this are just kind of fun for the world to know. I feel like <laughs> like he walked in with a mask on and is still elbow bumping. And I think it, I don't think he's irrational. I think it makes total sense. I think he had like three other speaking spots that day. Yeah, like he, I entered after I interviewed him. I introduced him to, to Serena, put yeah. them in a room for like forty five minutes. Went took him to meet a startup, and then he left to like go speak at yeah. fucking Davos. I don't know. Also, wherever. just smart because he's how old? in the 70s. 70s yeah yeah and covid was very much present yes oh a million percent so yeah fucking don't get covid yeah Kostla. yeah yeah it, it just it stuck out to me because yeah. he was the only one in like the whole show that did it that's a contrarian baby i mean it's just willing to make it was just so decisions. on brand him yeah too like con- contrarian and stuck with it yeah you know long-term contrarian and probably for good reason and making other people feel awkward about it you know <laughs> not not really but just like it's like yeah. so many people went in to shake his hand as i was like i almost like i was trying to like sherpa him so people didn't see him yeah but people would see him and they come over and try and shake his hand and he'd be like nah bitch here's my elbow here's the elbow you know? like, <laughs> the people's elbow <laughs> the people's fucking elbow <laughs> uh, can we uh i want to i don't know if you want to talk about like what you what he talked about in the interview i was i got to listen to some of that one yeah. and it was fucking legendary tell the, me like tell me what you thought i, I, I black out i know? only saw the i only get to see the end of it i think i was on the other stage i so that I was came a good over. part it takes 10 minutes to get him going so i think the last 15 were probably most of the most of the value i remember his like closing remark was this like very well thought out sort of math based approach of like f- finance is the most profitable industry in the united states it's like by percent of corporate profits of public companies it's like on the order of 30 percent and he's like that's wrong that is not a sign of a healthy economy that's the sign of like regulatory that is rent seeking behavior 100 those profits should live in other businesses in other industries in small businesses and my challenge to the all of the entrepreneurs in the crowd is to attack and reduce the percentage the the earnings of the finance industry and i was like i was the i was literally clapping and cheering i was the only one in the whole crowd who was like (laughs) fucking hey like let's go and everybody else like oh shit god damn it we gotta like i don't know (laughs) it's just like that is such a gangster thing to like go out and say on a stage at a fintech conference i was clapping with you Um, i think (laughs) i was yeah and just like i don't know what a what a badass what a like what a vc what a legend like what a unique vc like just the the vibe of that man you know what's weird is i've never been less nervous to interview someone you guys had a great rapport is that your first time meeting uh wow and we talked for five minutes beforehand because i was trying to solve the serena thing and i also in the midst of this i lost my laptop so (laughs) i like (laughs) it I forgot about that. You were you were just like a you fucking yard sale for like four days. There's just like something falling off of you at all times. It's hilarious. Uh, how does <laughs> how does someone get? How do you get Serena Williams on stage? That 
All right. So we, we talked about things we can't talk about and can't talk about, but it's not something I can't talk about. It's just like so straightforward. It's almost uninteresting. Okay. Turns out cost money. Okay. That's literally it. Like anybody can get Serena Williams on stage as long as you're not like, I like, I bet she would say no to Adam Newman right now. You know, she might say no to SBF. She might say no to Trump. Yeah. But she, she's capitalist. But, but only very few, like almost no, like the, the numbers of speakers at Money 2020 was wild to me. Like the application. In terms of high or low? Well, one, it's a shitload of speakers, it's like hundreds of individual uh, speakers. 400, over 400 this year. Out of how many applications? I think, so the, the other interesting part is that we're not, so the application number is interesting. We get, this year I believe we got 1,500 applications for pieces of content, right? But that one piece of content could be one person up on stage delivering a 10-minute presentation, mm. or it could be, and we're... I like to think good at our job. So we generally don't let five people on stage at once, but it could be yeah. four person panel with a moderator. Okay. Right. So if you think about the average, probably three people for each submission. So three times 1500, 4,500 ish people, yeah. something like that. Maybe more, I would say around five, probably around 5,000 yeah. humans applied. But then you think about like you didn't apply. Yeah, that's true. Vinod didn't apply. Right. Serena, Serena didn't apply, turns out. Derek Jeter didn't apply. Brett Harrison, the ex-president of FTX, didn't apply. Like, you know, like most of our, like probably 30 to 35% of our agenda was folks that I or we went out and hunted. Sought out. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. the other thing is like 5,000 apply of those 5,000, I bet of those 400 speakers two two fifty, maybe I would Coming say two through that process, two were through that pro 200 were through that process. So yeah. it's like Harvard ish. Yeah. I think from thinking about that, I'm, I'm sure the ROI for like presenting is enormous. Like that's gotta Huge. be, and I know, yeah, it's a, I mean, how does it feel to like hold those keys for lack of a better term? I don't know. I feel like it should feel heavier. It's the re the reason I took this job is because of the heft. Yeah. Like the reason I took this job is to be the neck that turns the head of the financial industry. You know, it's so I take that shit super seriously. Yeah. Like the idea that cause I've, I've heard and felt and seen the impact of like, oh, we heard this on stage at Money 2020 last year, so we're going to lean into crypto this year. Or like, we heard this in Money 2020 last year, so we're going to make sure that we're working with two other banks to prevent fraud rings. Like, I don't know, whatever, stuff like that. But that shit happens. And it's it's not to be taken lightly, I don't think. Like, putting putting a bad piece of content on our stages is at best not harmful. And at worst, not harmful, but uninteresting. And at worst, incredibly fucking harmful to yeah. the industry. Like, and to average Americans and to people that are underbanked. And to, that's the other, like, so many people walking around Money 2020 are like, 
oh, look at the end. You know, it's like it's because it's so overwhelming that you're just like, oh, let's talk about APIs. Let's talk about KYC. Let's talk about IDV. Let's talk about acronyms. But what about like Felicia? What about fucking Henry? What about like the actual person or business owner at the end of the day that is impacted by this shit? And if you don't keep that filter on through the whole thing, like you have to put on a good show and you have to keep people inspired and you have to keep people learning. But you have to like the other like non-regulatory Trojan horse is doing the right thing. Yeah. The like having conversations in the direction of how building sustainable businesses actually come from making the right decision for your consumer or for your client or whatever. Well, like, that's that's, an, that was an interesting thing, too, is listening to a bunch. Of, I mean, I emceed a bunch. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eric did Weird. literally everything I asked him to do for four days, and he <laughs> knew about 1% of it when he got to Vegas. <laughs> I was like half coffee boy, half MC. It was, it was a wild <laughs> you week. Were a you were, you were whatever just, it takes, baby. You were my Jesus. For, yeah, turned water into MC. Hearing who, to your point, treats who thinks of their customer as who, right? Like, yeah, there's some people who go point. on stage and revere innovation, sort of in the abstract, right? Like J.P. Morgan had a big spot, right? Yeah. And like they talked a lot about pushing innovation pushing technology investing in their groups but like they didn't talk about henry and felicia right but there's other people who talk about the banks as the customer like we're here to serve the banks we're here right. to like you know and for, for them like, that's true sure sure yeah, yeah like yeah. and much less inspiring from my point of view not something i want to get out of bed every day to actually do but important and, and true. I, I bet for most of the companies there the banks are the customer and that's really like the person you have to care about the banks are there to like I, I didn't appreciate the extent to which banks are just like an assemblage of vendors. Like oh. when you when you're walking through, you're like, oh, these are all the component parts of a bank. And a bank is like a brand and a regulatory moat that gets to like shop this batch of vendors and cobble them all together and serve them to Henry and Felicia. And so you like the, literally just that is the best main street explanation of a bank that I maybe have ever heard, actually. Is entirely true. Outside of the top 10, top 50 banks in the US, which we have 4,500, like the other 4,000 ish, which are what what you call the community banks and stuff. Like, I mean, there's, there's tiers to it. Like basically community to regional to like community, sub regional, regional to like large regional. And then you get into the B of A's kind of thing. Is regulatory the reason that that dynamic exists? Like why? um, Yes. Pretty, I mean, the answer to that, the answer to that question about basically any conversation okay. you have with me about fintech or finance is yes. But yeah, like, so there's so the reason is a one like really clear example is like the reason that Chime or any of these consumer facing fintech banks, the reason that I had a job when I was at MBKC yeah. was because these consumer facing fintechs want to be able to every time you swipe the card. If they have Bank of America behind them, this is incorrect math, and it's the math itself is so convoluted that it doesn't matter. But let's say every time you swipe the card on a $100 purchase with a Bank of America as your bank behind you, because of the way the interchange rules work, aka like the amount of that you can take out of that that the merchant pays, you make, again, incorrect, but like let's say you make out of every hundred dollars one cent or half a cent you the bank you you the bank well okay. you so the bank and you together this is it's fucking confusing dude it's, it's yeah. like this is why <laughs> this industry is what it is so 
you and the bank together, let's say, maybe make 15 cents. Okay. Or uh, that's about, that's even wrong. That's wrong. Five cents. All of these numbers are incorrect. I don't want anybody to think these numbers are correct. I'm just trying to like think about the ratios in a halfway decent way. So of the $100, you and the bank make, let's just say a dollar to make it easy. I know I'm confusing everyone. Let's say a dollar to make it easy. Of that dollar, that 1% interchange rate, if you have a big bank behind you, you as the fintech are probably going to make 20% of that, okay. something like that. And you would have to have decent volume to make that 20%. So you'll make 20 cents. And the bank still makes 80 cents. 80, 80 cents. The bank spent, Because the bank has the regulatory charter. charter. The bank spent how much on marketing? The bank spent Zero. how much to acquire the customer? Yeah. The bank spent... And then if you think about... They're just the only ones who are allowed to move money exactly. in the U.S. Exactly. It's regulatory capture. Or lend money in the U.S. Exactly. Regulatory capture, 100%. But if you think about community banks, and this is why I moved to a dollar instead of my previous bullshit, if you spend $100 on a community bank card, a Chime card banked by, backed by a community bank, the community bank and the entity together make about $3 instead of $1. Is and that then, worse for the consumer or doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't matter. It's the merchant is paying the fee. Okay. Remember, I think we were standing at Woodside yeah, the other yeah. day card, and we were talking about like present. card not present versus card. Pre so people, a lot of people don't know this, but like if you dip your card versus if the card's not there and you use your phone for Apple pay versus yeah. if you swipe the card versus if like all of those actually have different interchange rates. That's okay. why <laughs> if you want me to get even further down the rabbit hole, I, don't. I won't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not going to fucking happen. So you'll make, if you're a consumer fintech and partnered with a community bank and you, that hundred dollar swipe happens, you'll make, they make $3. Let's say you make 45 cents instead of that 15 cents or whatever it is, right? Yeah. You make like three times as much. That's because of a policy. Well, a regulation put in place called the Durban Amendment. So under the Durban, basically it's banks under this level of assets mm. make more, more interchange because we want small financial institutions in the U.S. to be able to compete with these big banks. Interesting. Right. So banks were too big to fail in 2008. As a result of that, we want to create a regulatory kind of prop up for the smaller banks that yeah. create a little regulatory benefit to them, especially as fintech is happening to give them an ability to ride this wave in the way that the group that has $12 billion to put into innovation doesn't. Yeah. So that's how a lot of this competition has happened. Actually, it's all comes down to the regulation. Like interesting BBVA as an example, shut down their banking as a service business because they couldn't compete with the community banks because they were earning triple. There's a lot of reasons, yeah, but sure. if I had to read the tea leaves, I'd say it just comes down to the most of the way that you make money in this industry is interchange. And if you're too big, you don't get to make as much interchange. It's that straightforward. That's so fucking wild. It's that fucking, yeah. Like that can't have been the most efficient regulatory policy for supporting 
I mean, Dodd, I, I, Dodd Frank like, happened. I'm, the Durban I'm Amendment. Super I mean, far out of my depth on that, and I'm sure these are much smarter people than I am. Like working on this kind of shit. It's well, just and interesting. I'm, I'm like, also oversimplifying. Sure. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, let's change interchange rates. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. There's a lot more to so it. Is that why capital requirements also change as a like, result of these? Entrepreneurs or founders or whatever are just like straight up buying their own community banks yeah. because that's yeah. like that actually is the ticket to play the game and then you can innovate with all kinds of cool business models on top of that because you actually own the charter you just completely put it together a million percent so one of one of the companies that we were supposed to have which speaking of shit that's gotten interesting one of the companies that we were supposed to have speak at money 2020 is a company called column which is uh column bank is actually what it's called because they went out and they bought a bank And this is a fascinating, I think, wonderful human named William Hockey, who was the ex-founder, co-founder with Zach at Plaid. So billionized, rebillionized, billionized (laughs) again, and went out and, you know, bought a bank. And him and his wife are the co-founders of this bank, and they're literally building it into a banking as a service bank. Tech and like the wild part about it is that this whole industry has talked so much about digital first banking in turn, but that just means like a better mobile app so you can deposit your check without going to the bank. Yeah, that's not and table again, stakes now. Yeah, it's not fucking innovation. Like yeah. so much of this is just lipstick on a goddamn pig, and none of it's actually about like moving money faster or anything like that. Like yep. a ch- remote check capture is good. It's inherently a good innovation but now i take it for granted so i'm like move on to the next one bitch yeah anyways so there this is what i would call like a tech first bank where all you have is the charter and instead of going out and buying to your point that core system from fis or finastra or wherever or fiserv and picking your own kyc vendor and like you know going shopping you build it they're building all of it you build it i mean I would imagine that they're probably partnering on certain pieces. There's certain pieces yeah. of it's it's like it's like there's certain pieces that are it's incorrect to say that they're like AWS, but it's like if you don't just like it's already built, bitch, just buy it. Right. Or, or like open source, use it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very certain that they're not probably doing their own KYC in yeah. terms of like the they probably have multiple vendors because there's a world now where if you stack like three of these KYC vendors, you're pretty much covered to the point where like that actually should be a product that someone puts together. But it's it's the the core system is tech first, which means money moves faster, which means on they're building their own core provider. Yeah, exactly. Is that even legal? Yeah. I thought they had to. I thought you had to be on a core because that was like where the Bank of America builds their own core. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's it's a matter of you need to be able to build, you need to be able to have a core that is compliant. That is auditable and yeah. compliant. Okay. And that is it's just, hard. It's just fucking hard. And yeah. Expensive. It's fucking hard to do. Okay. And the, but there's multiple strategies associated with this too. So there's there's the William version of going out and buying a bank. Yep. There's and buying a bank and building it in a tech first manner and like just stripping out everything out. Basically, he bought he went to a bankruptcy op- auction and bought a bank at a bankruptcy, like the same way you for the call. charter because it takes twenty five years to get a charter. It takes time, yeah, and not twenty five years necessarily, but it it takes time. And okay. they they stopped granting them for a long time uh, to the point where they're scarce. the only way you were going to get a bank is buying one. Taxi medallions, baby. Exactly, exactly, very similar, but to the point where now taxi because Uber didn't work in this industry or is still getting built in Web three, whatever. So, yeah, I would say still yeah. getting built, right? Yeah. Like. We talked about that a little bit. The like peer to peer stuff is like 
dubiously legal, but the, the, like there's end runs around some yeah. of the charter things. And I mean, I mean like whether that's good or not big. is totally yeah. It's, it, you can you can run really fascinatingly good <laughs> good for consumer businesses like solo funds until they get to a certain size. I think. And I think there's still a way solo funds can work. There's still a way all these businesses can work. Like I'm never going to be the person to say like never, but inherently, even if you're doing something that's good for the world, if it breaks a regulation, once you get big enough, you're going to have problems. Yeah. Or you go the like BitTorrent route and it's like, I mean, they ended up with problems, I guess, eventually anyways, but like, and, and the, that's the thing is like, if you're doing something good for the world, you shouldn't have to go the BitTorrent route. Like it's, you know, Travis is an, speaking of solo, like to yeah. go to that example, Travis is one of the best people I've met in my life. Yeah. He's so fucking smart. He's so driven. All of his heart is completely in the right place. And if you, well, you got to assume the regulator's heart is in the right place also, right? Like this, this is like the Uber, the Uber metaphor is decent here because that wasn't legal when they started either. They just got so big so fast and drove so much consumer demand and like organized this amazing sort of like groundswell of support that the, they changed what was legal. Yeah. And you hope, and, and regulators, I think to their credit, realized, oh, our goal with the taxi medallion was to make it like safe and predictable and tracked and yeah. like create a good experience for consumers so yeah. that they don't get like robbed, murdered, and yeah. otherwise cheated. Yeah. And Uber does what we were trying to do with taxi medallions, but in real time with perfect tracking, like, yes, it's centralized a little bit through a service, but we're accomplishing the goals of the regulator with technology. And yeah. you would like, you got to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I assume the regulators are not just like, like what, what rent are they seeking? Right? Like they want good things for consumers. They should hopefully see. It's just like that dance of like, can you get big yeah. enough, fast enough and drive enough consumer demand? And, show the regulators who you are and what you're accomplishing to to change the system because everything's malleable right like we tend yeah. not to think of the regulations as malleable but they are yeah pardon me while i murder my thirst murder that thirst we're i know you're to... trying to get sponsored by liquid death uh yeah just pop as many of those as you can actually even before you even drink that one just open two more <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i think so i agree i agree i think it is a good analogy but the other thing about it the other thing about it is travis Kalanick. And if you separate, like, think about who Travis Holloway is as a person and who Travis Kalanick is as a person. Yeah. People listening to this do not know Travis Holloway. So I will explain. Not a maniacally driven, insane person that's like willing to make a kamikaze run at the US government. That. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you for filling in the rest of that <laughs> blank because I wasn't sure how it was going to phrase exactly that. <laughs> He's not that. Yeah. And the problem with that is that he is that the definition of most of the people that are going to come into financial services and innovate in a positive way. Most of them aren't run through walls kind of people. Mm. They're really good people. And most of them can like Jimmy Chen's a great example. Actually, he's a, he's a good and a bad example. He runs a company called Propel. They do. They basically have built a fintech layer on top of the food stamps slash EBT system mm. and allow people that are on EBT to is it called, even call Am I not supposed to call it EBT anymore? What's it called? Step. It's called something else now that I can't remember what it's called. But I, when I was a kid, I could have. Anyway, that allows people to like actually run their lives whilst on that 
public benefit in a way that feels like they just have a bank account, mm. right? So Jimmy is a great example of somebody that is an amazing human. Obviously, he's from Overland Park, so that's a very key thing. But he also, he's so soft-spoken. Yeah. But I also know him to be somebody that would literally run through. Like, he would, he would not, but, but this is the difference, is like, he would run through walls, but he wouldn't murder his dog. You know, mm. or like murder his mom or like, I don't know. I've, I've never met Travis Kalanick, but like the way that he is paint, portrayed and like yeah. the way that that level, like even the way that people talk about some pieces of Elon or talk about yeah. some pieces of, I mean, definitely Zuck. Like some of the stories that I've heard about the Zuckerberg backyard barbecues, like sounds wild that I don't think exists inside of like financial wellness fintech and financial wellness fintech is the groups that actually give a shit of what we're talking about. Which brings me fucking full circle yeah. to regulators and policymakers creating the need for everyone to do that. And then all of a sudden, Travis Kalanick has to come into this industry because we have 30% of what, you know, the Vinod stuff and yeah. build something gigantic, but do it hopefully somewhat compliantly. It's a hard thing. Man. So is it going to come from like the dark recesses of Web3 and like we're just going to have to build like I, I think it's a really interesting future to imagine like there was a whole track on web 2.5 at money 2020 and and i i don't know how much credit they deserve in 2022 for like paying attention to crypto and DeFi and web 3 but like there was not a short like if anybody's curious there's not a shortage of people in traditional finance paying attention to blockchain and crypto companies like oh for sure they are they are entering the mainstream even though you don't see it really anywhere yet so that's the interesting part the the web 2.5 thing this year was like really my baby and it took a lot of thought it was one of the weird things that took a lot of thought and not as much work because yeah. actually so many people to your point are paying attention to it the the weird thing in retrospect was that last year we were coined as like crypto 2020 in 2021 we they instead of money 2020 like the post emptive like the post show yeah. feedback was like oh it was crypto crypto was everywhere yeah because i think bitcoin was at 50 like just, it was everybody was talking about it everywhere because of prices yeah it was just because of prices is yeah. all it came down to yep and this year i would say that we had drastically more cryptocurrency oriented conversations a lot more cryptocurrency oriented conversations we just pivoted it so it wasn't about Ethereum and it wasn't about yeah. Bitcoin and it wasn't about what weirdly has become gambling asset classes. Yeah, It became about the rails. It became about the blockchain. It became about like the way that on ramps and off ramps from TradFi to DeFi, like that is Custody something. Custody solutions. Exactly. Yeah. Use cases. Yeah. And I think that is the thing that resonated with people this year in a way that they were like, oh, that felt kind of. Like the fact that people don't think that was that out there, it makes me so happy. And and yeah, seeing that scene and like that, it changed a little bit. That was a new thing for me to see. Like previously, I sort of whatever I under, I had my head sort of wrapped around like Web three and crypto world, and I sort of had my head wrapped around fintech, yeah. mostly thanks to you. And I just did not understand how they how and where they interacted at all. If the, and if they ever would like, I was like, yeah, crypto either won't exist because it'll never be legal or not. It won't exist, but like will never become useful in mainstream because it will never figure out how to yeah. interact with 
am I going to use it to buy my coffee? The only legal way to move money around, which yeah. everybody has to eventually comply with to some extent for most of the purchases that they make right. in life. It wasn't obvious that finance would figure out how to incorporate that. And now, like coming away from money 2020, it's like, oh, that's going to happen. Like those two, there is a seam, a big like place where they're trying eagerly to like understand each other and work together. And there are like founders bringing crypto custody solutions and utility and platforms. And there are banks that are showing up to that conference and hunting down companies that are like, I know crypto is important. Help me figure out as a bank how to deliver what my customers deliver something new to my customers and show them what they might want. Can I get faster transfers? Can I get streaming payments? Can I have a wallet where they have private money? Can I help people custody things in places that they whatever all of the things that are cool and come with that nationally and internationally right like a ton of sort of developing world use cases too which was really interesting it was i mean the one of the things we hoped that people took away from this year was that it was an international show because the this industry this is not a u.s industry Mm -hmm. you know i mean if anything like look at what's been and i have been avoiding the news as much as i can so i don't know everything about this story right now but like even just looking at ftx they're fucked outside of the u.s yeah they're not fucked here because of our regulatory system yeah you know and it's 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 really interesting how it just keeps 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 coming back to that yeah and as much as like the world was upset about gary gensler i mean it's like you know he's anti this like a lot of the regulation that was put in place that really pissed people off is what protected ftx us and what protected FTX US shareholders or what, you know, like the, yeah. them being okay is because of our regulatory system, not because of like the FTX team deciding to do something differently in the US out of ethical or business reasons. Yeah. You know, so it's just, it all comes back to that. But yeah, Web3, the only way that we actually move in a direction of remittance businesses and money movement across different country like actually that working is it has to be on a block lane, uh, on a blockchain i think or we actually have to just agree on a global standard which is not gonna fucking happen yeah <laughs> yeah it was a very international that, that was a um it was more international than i was expecting certainly like i heard a bunch of different languages and yeah. there was like a you know panel on african remittance founders and yeah. all, like all kinds of interesting stuff yeah um and i know your interview with uh is it mariana yeah, that was part of that Monday. Should we circle back to the Monday? Circle back to Monday. Circle back to Monday. Okay, so we did the Vinod, finished with Vinod. Uh, the second interview of that day was me. Was these guys? <laughs> OnlyFans. Yeah. Uh, Zach reached behind his OnlyFans uh, sweatshirt to pull out his OnlyFans throw pillow. I'm not pillow. wearing my OnlyFans sweatshirt. You just took it off. It's I took like it off you. before the show. You got a hat too. I mean, I, they make nice. You swag. just started your OnlyFans account today. Yeah, the world doesn't even know that. Uh, <laughs> I haven't decided. Subscri- subscribe now for TBD. Yeah, I still don't even know what I'm using it for. I'm like, it might be for my podcast. It might be for. I don't know. We'll find out. Who knows? They they were on you interviewed them. Uh, well, so I interviewed their CEO. Yeah, I interviewed um I interviewed their CEO and their CFO. Okay, on stage uh, that same day. So that was the second one. What was their what was like the story that they had to tell the world so the, of fintech? The story. I mean, the fascinating part. The, the, it's really interesting. So I've, to your point, I have an OnlyFans now. 
it, there's still nothing on there because I got it like a few days ago and also because I don't know what I'm going to use it for, but also because the actual reason that I signed up and the actual reason that I'm doing this did this was because I wanted to go through the KYC process. Mm. The one of the things that I've been most fascinated by is this idea that OnlyFans is a bad thing for the world or like they're porn, they're bad, like whatever. If you're part of the whatever religious sect that is anti-porn, like, okay, have that conversation over there. But this idea that OnlyFans is a bad thing or like horrible for the world because they have children on the platform or whatever now i think i disagree with that idea vehemently Hmm. have they fucked up in the past they have rough moments a million percent did shit happen on that platform that never should have fucking happened probably i don't know all the stories but like based on what i've heard seems like it and if you read the right news they fucked up but there's a reason they have a new ceo there's a reason that a lot has changed there and one of the people that i talk to a lot is their cfo and we talk i mean we're friends but we talk about a lot of like idv stuff we talk about payment processing we talk about uh identity verification okay because the biggest issue they had or the biggest issue they want to make sure the world does not think they have is under 18 yeah right and i will tell you with very very strong conviction that shit was hard that nobody would go through what i went through to get this only fans account to get a bank account mm. it's the there was 14 layers i mean that not actually but there were i think three layers of facial recognition three or four different id checks selfie with the id that you took a picture of you have to share multiple other social media accounts so that they can verify that you're you and that you've been like been posting like an actual human. Yeah. And also when I say they go verify, I actually mean they go verify. Like they have an actual team. Like a lot of it is automated, a lot of it's machine learning, but they also have a team that is associated with going in and actually running pieces of manual KYC to make sure yeah. you are who you say you are. When you look at it and you're like, this is two times safer than what I need to get into any of my crypto wallets. This yeah. is four times safer than what I need to get into any of my bank accounts. Like this shit is wild. And they have a payments layer in it, right? Yeah. So there's two pieces of the conversation. One is we're safe as shit. We're safe as shit. We're safe as shit. We're safe as shit. <laughs> That's the first piece. Okay. The safest social media platform. Yeah. Which I agree with. I, you know, it's, it feels like marketing talk and it is, but I agree with it. Two is because of, and this is where you just get nerdy because of this association with adult content, they have a hard time partnering with payment processors. So in the same way, or banks. So in the same way that like, if you're a gaming, not gaming like Modern Warfare, but gaming like uh, DraftKings company, or if you're a cannabis company, or if you're OnlyFans, Patreon doesn't really have this issue, but because of the association with OnlyFans, they have this issue. You have a really hard time getting those partnerships because of a lot of things. One is reputational risk. 
Two is actually fraud rates and returns mm. and things like that. Which so, is more expensive for the payment provider to work exactly, with. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So so if you think about like the, there's this there's thing the called- the social a, risk and the financial risk. Exactly. But the financial risk, I think, is the interesting part because if, there's these things called merchant category codes. So if you have a, if you run a restaurant, that's a specific merchant category code, yep. and you will generally get X amount of returns, X amount of uh, disputed transactions, X amount of fraud. If you're in this merchant category code, aka the adult content merchant category code, those numbers are very different yeah. than if you run a restaurant for a lot of somewhat and somewhat obvious and somewhat unobvious reasons, actually. But that's a whole different thing. OnlyFans has the lowest fraud rate, lowest pretty much everything in their merchant category code uh, because of all of this technology that they've built and the fact that they're really a tech first creator economy company. Yeah. So they still with these numbers, with this volume, they've done $10 billion in fucking creator payments since their inception. 10 billion. How I think old are they, they? Did, what? How old are they? Uh, I think they were like, started in 2020. No shit. 2019 Google let's Google it real quick I mean um, you keep talking I'll look it up I think it was 2019 I or mean, 2020 still, I can't imagine they're more than 10 years 10 billion dollars they did 4 billion last year oh my god yeah yeah so they 2016 20, 2016 yes yeah, so they're six years but old. I think but I think the inflection like okay yeah, yeah very like founded much, I'm that's, sure I mean, yeah, I'm sure like it was, Google's first yeah that makes total sense like founded in 2016 but if you look at the revenue curve COVID yeah okay it's like that's that's when the shit hit the fan and that's why like it's basically oh I'm locked at home I wonder what I could do to make some money yeah. da, 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 da. Ah. oh I'm naked all right, here we go. You know, like <laughs> what, I mean, is that is that an accurate accurate characterization of them? I don't think so. Like, I what percent so. of? Do you have any idea what percent of that, their stuff is actually like? It's they they're they're careful about sharing it. And yeah. I mean, the other thing to be honest about is like, who cares? You know, it's like yeah. it's a fucking it's a platform. It's just one of those things where like, as soon as it's associated, it's yeah. the only thing people think about, and that's the why they come to Money Twenty Twenty. Yeah. People are so confused about why they come. They come to tell the story about their numbers, and they yeah. come to talk about the fact that they're protecting creators, and there isn't that much of an issue when it comes to that so anyways i don't know what that distribution is but i would i want to say that they said over the last two years two or th i think over the last two years it was eight billion that's a lot is it bigger than patreon yeah 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 i mean pa patreon's like cornered um comedy okay you know cornered podcast the the paywall podcasting thing they've cornered it interesting but but also whitney cummings just moved over onto OnlyFans, and she's moving her podcast over there yeah and the reason that i have an OnlyFans account it started with they wanted me to put my podcast gated content on there yeah and i might do that i don't know but anyways they wanted to come tell that story and get more payment processors to work with them and get regulators to understand that they're different and yeah. have those conversations and build those relationships they came to Amsterdam, which was less than a year ago. And between Amsterdam Money 2020 and Money 2020 US, they, I can't remember the number exactly. They actually, I think, said it on stage, but I want to say they got like two or three more payment processing partnerships. And because they're so international, like they need a lot of them because uh, of the interoperability yeah. and everything else. So it's, God, that sounds hard. It's super fucking hard. It's super, super hard. And OnlyFans is, 
OnlyFans is simultaneously like the easiest company to build, I feel like, because it's just like you build a piece of thing and then like it's 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 the ultimate jobs to be done kind of conversation, right? It's just like you build something and then the op- like what they do with it. Yeah. You it's, you don't know if it's the milkshake. You don't you don't know if milkshakes yeah. for breakfast. You don't know if the milkshake <laughs> is for enjoyment. You know, if you know, re- the milkshake brings the boys to the yard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder how many people track that. <laughs> if I know my audience, everyone. Yeah. yeah. If you're not a Clayton Christian. Absolutely fan, everyone. India is probably confused, but, that's not, <laughs> but everybody in America's got it. Uh, oh, it's so funny. Okay. I know a, a good part of your thought and your job goes into like the overarching story that Money 2020 tells, yeah. right? Like, um, of these, you know, 500 speakers and and tracks and talks over four days of multiple stages, it all ladders up to like a story about the fintech industry that like you see from your yeah. kind of perch. What was that? <sighs> okay. So I'll give you the, the hard part about this is that the reason that this story exists the reason the reason this story exists is because I had to come up with a story. My team and I had to come up with a story to tell that helped people orient around those content applications we talked about. And classically, events and conferences have these things have themes, right? So if you're in like the easiest industry to think of when it comes to that, it's maybe like fashion, right? Yeah, yeah. It's this is what's hot this fall lean you know here's the themes yeah like it actually makes sense to have themes but when it's kind of like it's kind of like you you do a you do a software conference what are the themes as software is eating the world Mm -hmm. it's like that's maybe that's the theme and when it's finance which is underlies the world yeah and when you're combining it finally with software and you're combining it with embedded finance, which is actually like providing checking accounts to Uber drivers and like fintech is eating the world. So the actual story is fintech is eating the world. But the story that I told this year, the story that we kind of continuously told this year to the public, like kind of rooted around four things. So one was vulnerabilities. It's been a fucking vulnerable few years, right? Coming out of COVID, inflation, stagflation, who knows what's next? Like it's all, we're all unsure. A lot of us lost jobs. A lot of us lost income, family members. I mean, it was fucking nuts. Out of that comes, especially in the financial industry, two ways of positioning yourself. One is defensive and you stop lending. You don't, you just lock it down. You you know, lay off part of the staff, just surviving. We're going to survive. The other side, which is really fucking hilarious now, um, because the main group that I would use as this example was FTX, um, is to go on the offensive and to go and to make acquisitions and to add leverage by market higher. Yeah, exactly. And at the point that I was telling this story, I was like, FTX is the shining example of exactly what to do. (laughs) 
It's fucking hilarious. Well, they did it from, they levered assets that didn't exist to do it instead of having a very conservative balance sheet knowing or waiting for the tide to turn to play from a hand of strength. So like, there not were quite the way Munger would have done it, but like, you know, go to, yeah. I, I like the strategy of being offensive, you know, when everybody, exactly. else, uh, yeah, from the greedy outside, when everyone else is fearful. But. Yeah, if, from the outside, if you don't know the balance sheet. And if it worked, it still would have looked brilliant. Um, very true. That's kind of how that works. Um, so then there's the offensive stance, right? And that can lead to a whole bunch of things. Yeah. But the other thing interesting about the FTX thing is that the third pillar of that story is chain reactions and ripple effects, mm. unexpected ones specifically, right? So if you go on the defensive and you stop lending, and or if you go on the defensive, you laugh staff something all of a sudden happens, you need to rehab, like all of these different things, uh, yeah. you know, the impacts of where we're at actually with FTX now, like there's all, especially in the financial industry, the impact, not, a, not you just stop the lending, but your revenue goes down. Right. So you invest less in innovation. And so like, it's yeah. a flywheel, but it's also unexpected and unintended consequences in random areas that you probably never would have guessed. Mm. Like there's just random shit that happened this year. Yeah. That, I don't think people saw come like it was just it was weird. So that was a piece of it. The end piece of it though, and the I think the most exciting part, like I was talking about lipstick on a pig earlier. The most exciting part is experiences and actually finally having a shift into into disruptive technology, right? So this is this is the thing is like as I would explain this to people that didn't understand like the actual definition of disruptive technology, I would, I wouldn't say this because I, it was too complicated and I would just say experiences are getting better. Yeah. But actually what I mean is that the experience with setting up your MetaMask wallet, connecting it, buying your first NFT, all of that is so bad yeah. that we're finally at a point where experiences are going to get better. Right? Like sure. the disruptive technology is here. It sucks. Yeah. And give it like three years and the whole world's going to change. So that's actually what I meant by experiences. And then this next year, I think we've already kind of figured it out over the last three weeks. Um, but I think it's <laughs> that was quick. Well, I think when you when you put together, it was Rachel's idea. But when you put together everything that happened over the last year, it kind of is just like the beginning of a hero's journey. Mm. it's just like a protagonist kind like of we're, like we're entering the other world exactly yeah yeah so i won't say anything more but i think the story this year is going to be very interesting hero's journey ish yeah love me some joseph campbell maybe let's go i mean it's gonna be great exactly exactly very exciting yeah all right how we do thank you for the overview do you want to add anything any other like last highlights or dangles or let's finish monday okay so two more things after the OnlyFans interview, I interviewed Mariana Van Zeller, who is the um, host of a show called Trafficked on National Geographic with the CEO of a company called SoCure, which focuses a lot on IDV, but also relates to money laundering. So I've this woman is an absolute hero of mine and got she's to enter. She's an animal. She's a fucking animal. If you haven't watched Trafficked, audience, like if you're listening, I cannot recommend this shit enough. It is the best show to understand dark markets and it is the best show to help you understand the human impact of 
the fact that we don't catch money laundering and the human impact of these dark markets. So amazing show. Also just scary as fuck. Like you will literally sweat through the whole thing. And meeting her was maybe the highlight. I mean, she was a fucking meeting Vinod was really cool. Yeah. Having a conversation with Serena was really cool. But like Mariana is an unbelievable human and one of my like favorite journalists of all time. So that was dope. And then from there, <laughs> I finally allowed myself to have my first drink of the whole show. Uh, after that, I think I went, got drinks with, uh, with my boss and just like debriefed for a minute and then proceeded on to a private 300 to 350 person post Malone concert where I literally got to stand in the front row with some of my favorite people on earth and have just like the most elated wild dopamine rush of a fucking hour that I've had yeah. in my life. Feel like a rock star. Congratulations. Exactly. Exactly. Going psycho. I mean, you know, you keep saying all this. I'm going to like you. Yeah. Um. So that was the day. That was the end of Monday. That's a crazy day. And no wonder Tuesday was a blur, baby. It was a fucking blur. And then we yeah. went on to make actually a difference. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's that. What a what an amazing, like, it was so cool to see you go through that, like, go through that week and just, at minimum, survive it was fucking crazy. Um, it was, like, all of the biggest days of somebody's life sort of in a row. Um, and it's, and I was like, damn, this is going to happen again next year, too. <laughs> no, no shit, right? That's the wildest part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Do you have, you have any closing thoughts? I was I was listening uh, as uh, in the limited prep that I did for this conversation um, to <laughs> to some of our one of your best friends some of our previous previous podcasts and our, there was a line in there that you you know you you had said as you moved through like sort of the finance industry in your career that your definition of success for your career had changed and it had become to leave the industry better than you found it and and know that you had an impact on doing it. And I know that's your your goal for your whole career, but it was so clear watching that happen, watching that week, knowing the year that you had put into it, and then seeing sort of the trend of this happening for maybe years at a time. And I think the way you put it in this podcast was really good, like being the neck that turns the head of of the fintech industry. And big fat Greek wedding quote, but yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> perfect. Uh and just knowing you the way I do and knowing how like the unique mix of like awareness, uh, broad worldview, ambition, and like deep human give a shitness. And I'm just like <laughs> so glad that there is uh that there is you or or someone like you in this place doing this job. Um and that 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 head will get turned by a neck that is very very deliberate um and that's a really like i like i sleep easier knowing that and it's just like really fucking cool to see and i hope that all these other industries that are ridiculously important and have incredible crazy confluences of regulators and parties and um downstream effects on millions of people that will never even approach grokking the complexity of the system that serves them has somebody who gives a shit about them and is working hard on the same stuff. Um, it's just a 
it was a beautiful sort of machine to peek inside for a week. And I'm really glad I did. I'm glad you're in there doing your, your tinkers, um, making it all happen. I appreciate you. I mean, I truly pieces of it could not have happened without you. So I appreciate the hell out of you. You got it. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and I, I can't wait to see how much of these sort of like predictions or to see if, if like what we peek at plays out in, in any way, the way we think it's going to, or the way we hope it's going to, I think it's really interesting. And I think like we talked in the last podcast and this one about the ripple effects that these decisions make have on from the policymakers or the founders or the entrepreneurs or the banks and how it all plays out for normal people. It's just really cool to see. Isn't it fucking weird? What a wild world. What a wild world. What a from, wild world. From from uh from breakfast, whatever it was, like seven years ago and me trying to run away from you to here we are. Yeah. Now. Podcast soulmates. Exactly. Smart friends for the win. Smart friends for the win. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, you will certainly appreciate my previous episode with Zach. Uh, if you didn't have that as background, um, similar kind of crazy energy in the episode with Jason Hitchcock, uh, where we talk about Web3, NFTs, DeFi, and the metaverse. Um, that was like a year or two ago now. Uh, but I think the ideas really still hold up as you think about the financialization of everything and what's going to happen between tech and finance over the next decades. Um, might also enjoy the series we do about rolling fun, the startups that we're investing in. And my most popular episode of all time is the enormous eight hour episode with Balaji. Well, it's a four hour episode. We edited a lot, but I highly encourage you to check that out. Um, and please, if you enjoyed this, take four seconds to leave a review in the podcast app. It's the single best way to help the show grow. I really appreciate you hanging out with us today. This is all about laughing and learning, building leverage and compounding our faces off. What our brains aren't evolved to comprehend is how much leverage is possible in modern society. There's a revolution going on, man. Uh, go pay attention to it. Get a part of it. Get exposed to it. You're going to make money along the way. You're going to have fun. The call to adventure. This is the new form of leverage. Take a few quiet moments for yourself. Breathe deep and be well. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.